Isaiah 11, 1, verse 1 through 4. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance, nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. Luke 2, 41 through 52. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for, pa for the Passover. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started to look for him and their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why do you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and the people. John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. It's so good to hear God's word, and I love that this is a part that we have added into our gatherings together, is an opportunity to hear multiple people, multiple of you guys from our congregation share God's word. Um, so first of all, uh, my name is Josh, I'm one of the pastors here, and get an opportunity to continue on in this series, but first thing I want to do is just thank you. Uh, Melody said it earlier, and I was thinking it before, I'm just so grateful that we get to gather together, and there's so much stuff that's going on in the world and so much stuff that goes on in the season that, that makes it difficult or can be frustrating or can be hard. But, but the simple fact that you guys are all here, you've carved time out of your week, out of the busy schedule that you have to come and worship God, to come and bring your presence and experience and provide community to each other. And that's a really, really big deal. So I just want to thank you for that because that's an awesome blessing that we all get to take. And we're going to continue on in this series. The series that we're going through um, is called Fully Human. And months ago when we were talking about Advent, the season that we're in, and what we wanted to do, we asked the question, what is unique about Advent? What is unique about Jesus coming and being born? And the thing that was unique about that was the fact that Jesus came as a child, that Jesus wasn't just God in a bod, right? He wasn't just uh, this divine person, but he actually was human. And Grant kicked us off last week, and last week he talked about how Jesus came as a baby. A child was born. And it's this beautiful picture, and I love that he went into this, uh, the aspects of what that means as far as the senses go, right? 
that Jesus felt things and he could smell and he could hear and see and all of those different things and, and how much different that is than we view God a lot of the time. Because a lot of the time we just view God in light of his divinity, right? We view God in light of what he has done and what the results of that are for us. But he felt those things. And it made me think of how many of you have ever seen a picture of Yosemite? Just raise your hand. If you, probably on the back of your computer, right? Half dome, El Cap, whatever it is. Yeah, how many of you have been there in the valley? Right? It's a little different, isn't it? I mean, pictures are beautiful. Ansel Adams don't want to take anything away from him. He did a great job. But it's a little bit different when you're there because when you're there and you're standing in front of those rocks and, and you can hear the wind go through the trees and feel the sun on your face and smell the pine, like, right, a picture is beautiful, but you're using one of your senses. When you're there, you're using all of your senses. And the experience is different, right? It hits you differently. And we're, we're doing that. We do that with Jesus, that when we go through Scripture and we pull Scriptures, a lot of the times we see snapshots of Jesus' life, right? We just see these little pictures. And what we're doing in the series is going in and realizing that Jesus was experiencing life. It wasn't just the mission. It wasn't just what was going on. But he could smell, touch, feel, hear, taste, all of those things. And today we get an opportunity to see a little bit more. Today we get an opportunity uh, to talk about the lost boy. And I was a little tempted uh, to just throw Hook on, and we could watch some of that, one of my favorite movies, and just, we'll be good. I liked it. I could preach on it. It would be fine. Uh, but I didn't. Um, yeah, but we're talking about the lost boy. And this is really unique. This passage is only found in the Gospel of Luke. And it is the only recording we have of Jesus in between being born and starting his ministry. And, and it's kind of weird in that. But Luke, the author who did this, who's a very intentional person with his writings, who also wrote Acts, put this in here. So what we want to do is we want to slow down for a second, and we want to say, hey, what is this telling us? One of the things that I do, and this isn't the only way to approach Scripture, don't hear me say that, but this is a discipline I try to do, is when I approach Scripture, I actually do it uh, thinking, God, what does this say about who you are? What, does, what is this going to reveal about your character? Because if I don't do that, how I approach Scripture is like, God, tell me I'm right. Or tell me they're wrong, right? Like, those are the two ways I really approach Scripture. I want to be justified, or I want to condemn something else, and I want to feel good about myself when I do that. And that's my tendency, so I have to have that discipline. But more than that, I want to encourage you guys, as we go through this passage, don't consider even more deeply Try to connect with maybe some of those other senses. And yes, we know the end of the story. We know the result of what Jesus did. But let's sit in these moments that we have of his life and even his childhood as he's being raised. So we're going to start in Luke uh, chapter 2. And we'll be staying in this, so feel free to just get there. Luke chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 41, it says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year for the Feast of Passover, and when he was 12, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast ended, and when the feast ended, they were returning, and the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. So we have this story, and it opens up, and, and they're going to Jerusalem, and they're heading there. And this is a really cool picture, because it isn't just Jesus and his family, right? It's the entire community. Because they're celebrating this amazing thing that happened, and it's a celebration of Passover. And what that was was a celebration of God when these plagues were going through all of the area 
that the firstborn of every household was going to be taken. And, and when they listened, because they were God's chosen people, when they listened to what God asked them to do, that, that that spirit passed over their house, preserving the firstborn. And it's this beautiful thing that they celebrate each year. And I love that it landed on this time. Because in our culture, we're right in the middle of what is closest to this, right? Thanksgiving and Christmas are those two times where, where families get together most of all, right? And kind of good or bad, let's be honest. You know, uncle, crazy uncle so-and-so and aunt whatever, and let's hope they don't get together because we'll have, right? Like, but still, family comes together, and we see that. And they're traveling, and it says it's a big group, and they don't even realize that he's not with them on the way back. So it was like, it was probably like the kids, you know, of the same age, they would all just get together and be going. So Jesus was going, he probably hung out with, I don't know, someone related, like John the Baptist, maybe? He was just called little Johnny back then, right? Like, and, the, and they're walking, and they're hanging out, and Jesus' parents are like, just don't eat locusts, I don't care what he says, but, and, and they're walking together, and they're traveling, and they're as a family, and they're celebrating, and this was their traditions, those traditions and customs that you have, Jesus was experiencing this. And that was part of what was going on. And it said, um, and it said, the boy Jesus stayed behind. And there's certain translations uh, and that are a little bit different. And this is the cool thing, is that we have a lot of translations. I'm reading from the ESV right now. You'll see NIV up there. And maybe some of you listen, like read NLT or whatever the other translations are. And one of the things I want to encourage you with is find a translation that you can read and reads well. And if you have a question, if you're like, I don't know, is this the wrong one or something, just talk to one of us. We would love to walk through that. But, but it's important for you to be comfortable with how it's read, right? That's why I read ESV, because it, it reads better for how my mind works. But we see different translations say different things, and the boy Jesus, some translations actually just say Jesus. So I looked it up, and there's a word actually describing Jesus, and it's well translated as boy, but another translation for that word is servant, and I was like, okay, I'm put that one aside for my kids when they get older, right? You're a servant as well. Um, so the other translation is servant. And the reason for that being one of the translations is that uh, when you were a child, if you were a boy under the age of 13 or you were a girl under the age of 12, you had zero responsibility for your actions. You were more like property than you were an autonomous human. And it would be like if you own cows and, and they busted down your neighbor's fence, you aren't going to sue the cow, right? Like you're suing the person for letting the, like, and that's kind of the situation that it was. And, and there's this beautiful thing that happens. Uh, and how many of you ever heard bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, right? And what that means is that sons and daughters of mitzvah. And what mitzvah is, is commandment. And what it's saying is sons and daughters of the commandment. Another translation for commandment is, all, is actually also connection. Sons and daughters of the connection. We view the Old Testament, and, and we look at it, and we look at commandments, and we talk about religion, and it feels like the do's and don'ts of the world, right? Religious people are those morally good people because there's do's and don'ts, and there's this commandment that comes with it. But the origin of those commandments isn't God in the Old Testament, isn't God saying, don't do this and do this. It's God saying, because of this, you are mine. The point of those commandments was clarifying his chosen people and his connection. And so they're going to worship this God. This God that they're going to worship as well, I want to clarify, is the same God that we came here to worship. 
And I want that to be clear because sometimes, and I am so guilty of this, we separate ourselves from Old Testament or we separate ourselves from Judaism. And we're like, yeah, that's like a completely different thing, but it's not. When we do that, we lose this beautiful, restorative history of a God that relentlessly pursues his people. And we see the crux of it happening in the story. So it's this really awesome thing that we still participate in today. And verse 44 says, But supposing him to be with the group, they went on a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him, they found him in the temple, sitting among teachers and listening to them and asking them questions. So <laughs> they just like, Yep, they didn't even realize that he was missing, and, and they just went on. They're like, they're thinking, oh, he's with so-and-so. How many of you, don't raise your hand for this. I don't want you to indict yourself. How many of you have ever had kids and a family thing? They're like, oh, we're so-and-so. They're fine. They're with someone. It's probably fine, right? Like, yeah, right here? Yeah, okay, good. Um, <laughs> Monica, you told on yourself. Uh, yeah, and, and it's just one of those things, right? And you do that when you're in an environment where you trust the people, where you trust the community that you're with, and you're completely confident. And one of the beautiful pictures I see of that, actually, is for me and my kid. When Reed finishes his class, right, he finds two things. He finds Ben and a juice box, and then he goes for it after church. You see him. They're running around. They're doing things. They're going crazy. And, and there's zero concern in my heart because you guys are our family that I know that he's surrounded by a bunch of people, even if you don't know us or you don't know him well, you have his best interest in mind. And it's the same concept. These are the types of things that Jesus is experiencing as a boy, as a preteen, right? I don't know what preteen Jesus was. That's kind of funny, right? Preteen Jesus playing a lot of Minecraft. I don't know what he's up to, but like, it's an interesting thing to think of that this is part of his journey that we get a piece of. And that they were supposing that he was with them. And let me paint this. So for one, he might have been gone before they left. And then after they left, it took a day's journey. And they probably, being good parents, looked for him for quite a while, right? And then they had a day's journey back. And then it took three days to find him. Kid was gone for like a week. <laughs> like, just gone. And I think of this. I've had times where, where I'm doing something. And Lindsay and I, and we have three kids, which is a terrible idea, outnumbered. And we're doing things. And... <laughs> And I turn around and I look at Lindsay and I see her and I see two of our kids and I'm like, wait, one's missing. And I just like freak out. And in that moment, this is just me, all the most terrible things that can happen to a kid happen in my mind in like three seconds. I'm pretty sure the worst things are, and I'm panicked and all that's going on. And then I realize Reed was just hiding behind a tree because he thought it was funny, right? So that's, that's kind of what happens. That's kind of uh, the reality of, of having kids. And, and so Mary was feeling the weight of that. Because one thing I want to clarify, Mary didn't lose the Son of God. She didn't lose Emmanuel. She didn't lose the creator of everything and the redeemer of all. She lost her boy. And we see that. And we see a mother in that moment with the panic and fear and all the things that come with it. And they search, and they search, and they search, and they actually find him three days later. The reason that they find him so late is because he was in a place where no 12-year-old boy would be, and that's in the temple. 
Because prior to being 13, kids weren't even responsible to uphold the Torah, weren't responsible to uphold the laws. There was no reason for them to be in there learning. And yet they find him there. And I want to pause this for a second here. Because as far as Luke's gospel, if this is the only one we had, which would be great because we still have an account of Jesus, right? If this is the only account of Jesus we have, this is the first time that we see the actions of an autonomous Jesus making his own choices. And because of that, that's worth leaning in. It's worth pausing. It's worth thinking about. How do we find the creator of the world? How do we find um, Emmanuel, God with us? And we see that, and the posture that we find Jesus in is that he's sitting with the teachers, and he's listening, and he's asking questions. And I point that out, and I pause us for that, because that is the exact opposite of the world that we live in, the exact opposite of how we're trained, because we live in a world that has hierarchies, right? And those hierarchies about who has more knowledge, who has more authority, who has more power, and then those people asserting that to make sure they stay where they are or move up. And that's how it works, right? And, and so, so we see this, and we see Jesus in a stark contrast to that. The posture that he took was in a contrast to that. And one of the things that happens from that is it affords him the opportunity to sit with these guys, right? They could have told him to leave. He was a silly kid. Get out. Go. Get out of here. But because of the posture he took, he got to sit with them. And he got to have conversation with them. And, and, and I say that, and I don't want to get in the trees. I know we're getting a little bit there. But, but I say that because there's something important to that. that. The one who had all authority, all knowledge, all power, chose to use that by submitting himself to the people that he was around. Chose to, chose to take that posture instead. And I, I think, and this is how our world's created, right? This is how the society works all the way up to the top politics of world leadership, right? We see this. All the way down to the smallest nuances, right? A conversation like this. Hey, hey man, I just got this really cool... 32-foot RV, and it has these things I wanted to show you. And then the other guy, like, oh, yeah, my fifth wheel, blah, 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 right? It's this quick moment, this quick thing where we aren't even one-upping the guy, right? Because he has a better one than we do, right? But, but we're making it clear that, yeah, we can hang. I see this a lot with guys, a lot with me, right? Like, we just want to make it clear, yeah, yeah, we're there. We're on your status. And we don't do that vindictively. We don't do that as bad people. I don't want to shame anyone for doing that. But it's because we've been trained. We've been trained in the society where it is the most important thing to clarify our standing, our power, our worth, our knowledge. And Jesus is telling us something different in his actions here. And I wonder, I wonder if we, if we did this. I told you a story for those of you that were here a couple of weeks ago with Reed and, and how I was a little bit harsh with him and how I had to talk to him. And anyone that's read a parenting book or listened to a parenting podcast knows that when you talk to a kid, you get down to their level, right? You, you listen, you allow them to speak, and then you ask questions for clarification. Those are some good things you should do. This isn't just religious. This is just a good thing to do for your kids. And, and, and when when you do that as an authority, as his father, I know that that's important. But I wonder how different the world would look if we 
did that not only in the places that we had authority, but in our peers, with the people sitting next to you. Because here's the thing. If you were to sit, there's an important thing required before you sit, and that's that you stop. And in the season that is insane with breakneck speed, insane with expectation, insane with need, how valuable is a stop? And if you were to listen, and by that I mean create a fertile ground for which the person across from you feels willing to share, right? That's bigger. And you were to respond by asking questions, to, to want to hear more. You know what that does? To that person you're sitting across from, they see whether they know it or not the sacrifice of time you're making to be with them. They feel this experience of being heard and being known. And we've talked about this so many times. Those predicate being loved, right? You must feel like you're heard and seen and known before you can feel loved. And then you ask a question and you declare their humanity by saying, you are worth this conversation moving forward. And so I know we got into the trees a little bit, but our first posture we see our Savior in, the first thing that he decided to do with his ultimate authority and power is to sit, is to listen, and is to ask. And after three days they found him. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And all who heard him were amazed and astonished at his understanding and his answers. Think of these men of God. A lot of times we like to vilify the religious leaders of the day, right? Because we've got to have an enemy, you know? Modern movies and shows tell us that. We want a clarified enemy. So we do that with the religious leaders. But if we listen to what Paul says, and we see in Scripture that Paul makes it very clear, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, because these have been and always will be God's chosen people. And we see that kind of playing out there. And what I think is these men who spent their entire life devoted to knowing Yahweh, devoted to knowing God, and they put so much effort in, into doing that, the same God that we're devoted to know, that they were like, yeah, you know, this is true about God, and this is true about God, and this, and we believe this. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, this completely, absolutely, this is amazing, isn't it? Can I do something for you? And he connected the dots. And any of you that have ever done, you know, like big adult connect the dots where there's like hundreds of dots and numbers. You have no idea what it is rather than the easy kid ones. And you start doing it. It's kind of an amazing thing. You're like, oh, I didn't even see this. And you see it and it's there and it's cool. And what happened is these people were seeing snapshots, right? One, little dimensions about who God was. And Jesus was simply connecting those dots to these lucky rabbis, to these lucky teachers, they were getting to experience for the first time in all of creation the light of the world, the glory of God being revealed. They were experiencing a foretaste of kingdom now. And so they were just lapping it up, man. And I don't even think that would be possible if Jesus didn't enter in the posture that he did. 
And next, again, for the sake of understanding the humanity of Jesus, Mary had such a good response. I love this. It's like, like a mom in the, how many of you have seen Home Alone? Remember when the mom, I forgot her name, is re, like reunited with Ke- Kevin at the end, and it's this crazy thing. I just watched the new Home Alone on Disney+. Plus. It's actually pretty good. I like it. But there's that same reunited moment. But you always see this mom, and there was an accident. There was something going on, and the mom's mixture of like angry, sad, frustrated, scared, and then there's this blanket of relief over it. You know what I'm talking about, that moment in the movie? And that's what's happening right here. She's like, why'd you do this to us? What's going on? Because again, she wasn't looking for the Savior. She was looking for her son. And Jesus experienced not a person who was upset, not, not another character in a story that we get to read thousands of years later. He was, per- he was experiencing a mother and father who desperately loved him, not for what he was going to provide later, but for who he was. And we get that. We get to see that. And Jesus' response, he said these words, and, and the first words of Jesus we have, as, as according to this gospel, are very confusing, vague words that no one understood. So that's another foretaste of what's to come, right? Jesus always does this. And his words are, why were you looking for me? Because uh, you're my kid, because you were lost, because, right? Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? That also translates as, did you not know I must be about my father's business? And I want to clarify something with this. And this is just a guess. There's a part of me that feels like preteen Jesus just couldn't contain it. He had a mission, and it was just leaking out. He's like, these are my people. I want, they're just missing it a little bit. Can I just clarify a little bit? For, right? Like, I feel like that's what Jesus was doing. Like, they'll be fine. I just got to give them just a little bit, just a taste of what's to come. And, and he's there. And he's about his father's business. Again, a, bin, a business of redemption. Not of asserting his knowledge, his dominance, his authority, but of focusing on the people that he was called to love and the people that he was called to pursue. Verse 50 said, And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And they did not understand, right? Jesus is talking about something that he would mention to, as we're going through the book of Mark, right? He mentions multiple times the disciples are with him and they don't get it. He's alluding to something to come. He, he's mentioning and bringing in and talking about this kingdom that no one could understand what it meant. And they didn't understand. But we start to see behind the curtain. If you're asking yourself, Josh, what's the point? Come on, get to it, which I know Lindsay's probably asking in her mind right now. Um, What's the point? Let's get to it where it's going. We're starting to see behind the curtain, see what that point is. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. That the one who is the most powerful, the one who has the most authority, is the one who chose to be completely and totally submissive in every way. And that's what the series is about. Started as being submitting himself to being a baby, all the way through being the redeemer that we know and we celebrate even more around Easter time. And here we see a picture of that. While he sits with the teachers, we see a picture of that 
as much as he probably wanted to get that ministry going now, right? Like, just let's go for it. Let's start this. He had a mother and father, and he was going to listen to them. And he was willing to submit. He was willing to wait until that time came. And it's fine. I don't know. I don't know the answer to it. I don't know if Jesus had all the answers and all the knowledge, how that all works out, like right in this moment, what he was submitting to, to what extent. But we have this picture, and we know this is a choice that he made. And it says, as his mother's treasured these things up in her heart. And when it read that, there was three examples. Again, as a father, my examples are always my kids. Um, that came into my mind, and it was uh, Chase's little chuckle. I don't know if you heard it, but he has a great little chuckle. You tickle him, and he just giggles, and it's like the best thing in the world. I've recorded it multiple times because it makes me laugh. Um, and Easton is the most expressive. These little faces, whether it's an evil face, like she's mad at you, or it's like surprised. I don't know. She just gets me with that. And for Reed lately, it's been this, this catching me off guard with how aware he is of whether it's emotion or whether it's a situation and I'm like, dang, you're a little human. I didn't realize that. No, like, like it's these little moments that she treasures up. And we have none of them recorded. We don't know what any of those moments are. We can guess. You can do theology. but We don't know. And the reason we don't know is those moments weren't for us. Those moments were for her as a mother of Jesus. And so she was treasuring up moments with her boy, who just happened to also be the Savior of the world. We're going to end with this last verse. This last verse says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. If you ever want to see like a theologian just kind of like freak out and stumble over everything, like just tell him to explain this verse because there's a lot. Man, when God's divinity and his humanity comes together, it's a tough one, right? Like we're okay. Jesus grew up. We're fine with that physically, but he grew in wisdom. He grew in favor with, was he out of favor with God? What do we do? Right, like, you know, like, these are the things that kind of make you a little bit uncomfortable. But I think we miss the point when we get caught up in all those little nuances. But what we're seeing is that Jesus grew, that Jesus developed now, I don't know if when Jesus was born right out of the womb, he knew Mandarin and ASL and stuff. I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he limited that. Maybe he subordinated himself. I don't know the answer to all those questions. But we do know this, that there was a time in his life when he was developing, and he was growing, and he was allowing that to go at its pace. He wasn't forcing things to happen. He wasn't asserting his dominance and his authority, which he had every right to do. And there was a reason for that. Because these and the first actions of Jesus give us our first instruction in what God's character is like. And we see this man who, who came and who submitted in every way possible. A submission that ultimately led him to submitting to death on our behalf. And that's an amazing thing. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate the divinity of God. We celebrate the divinity of Jesus. But one thing, the more and more I know about the humanity of Jesus, the more and more I feel loved by God and I love God. The more and more I feel that. 
says he grew in favor with God. And just a quick clarity, favor also can be translated as grace. And what that means is that he simply, it's like someone that you already like, right? And then they just keep doing awesome things. You're like, I already liked you, but you're just affirming how cool you are right now. There's a lot of you out there in the room that are like that. I'm like, I already liked you, and you just keep saying, like, you're just, you're a cool person. That's kind of what favor means. It doesn't mean he was out of favor with God. Like, we view everything so black and white, don't we? Oh, you're not in favor? Cool, you're not my friend forever. We're enemies. We hate each other. <laughs> that's not how the world works all the time. And, and that's what it's talking about with favor, is it's just affirming something that God already believes. What if we afforded God that? That he actually, when he sees us, we aren't just doing the good things so he likes us or doing the bad things so he dislikes us. But the good things, he's just excited we're living in the freedom that he gives us. So let me end with this. Might I encourage us in this season to take moments to pause and to sit and to listen and to ask. So we're going to enter into a time of communion right now. And I left my communion over there. Is it? That was bad. I'm going to go get my communion. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> Nailed it. Good thing we aren't, like, filming this or anything. That would have been bad for walking off stage, right? So as we take communion... What we're doing is we're proclaiming that we already know the end of the story. <laughs> what we're proclaiming is that we know how this story ends, how this book ends. My hope for you is every time that you come, oh, if you need some more communion, will you raise your hand if you need one? Are you missing? Melody has some in the back. We have Chris got you right there. Good. Sorry about that. I'll get it down now that we're inside. I'm, I'm figuring it out. What we're doing in this time of communion is that we're proclaiming what God did. Later in Luke, we'll actually hear the passage where Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he talks about his body being broken and his blood being a new covenant that's poured out. But my hope for you when you come on Sundays, whenever you gather with God's people, whenever you come to worship, is that some aspect of that allows you to draw closer to God. There's a certain expectation of conviction with God. And I want to clarify what that means because we think guilt and conviction are the same. They're not. Guilt isolates and makes you draw yourself back. Conviction draws you towards God. And my hope is that that happens consistently for you, that you might be able to trust or believe because of us focusing on the humanity of God, that he wasn't just this ethereal thing that did a great thing for everyone, but he knows you and loves you and sees you and desires you to experience a life of freedom and not bondage. And I believe a big way that he's going to do that is through the people who you're sitting in this room with. So we proclaim that with this. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Let's take this. And I know it's not Easter or Good Friday, which we usually focus on this. I'm trying not to spill on my shirt, too. There we go. But Jesus, and this always struck me. Oh, see, I spilled on the ground, not my shirt. We're good to go. Um, this always struck me with this. 
is that Jesus said, this is my blood poured out for you, a new covenant. Not breaking, not disregarding, not getting rid of all the other ways that God has pursued his people, but a fulfillment and a progression of the way that God has always responded towards his people. And that is complete and total sacrifice and submission, not to proclaim his dominance, but to love the people that he was called to love. Let's take the cup. God, we thank you for an opportunity to slow down in the busiest of all seasons to pause. I ask for each of us that you bring to the forefront of our mind opportunities to sit, to listen, to ask questions, not as an obligation of being a Christian or a Christ follower, but as co-participants in the reality of your kingdom, which is here. Lord, none of this would be made possible if you didn't first come as a child and then a boy and then a man and then the redeemer of everything. So God, we're grateful for so many things, none of which are more important than your relentless pursuit of us as your people. So I thank you for this community and I pray that each one in it would take it as an honor and an opportunity and a joy to reveal your grace and your mercy to each other and to the rest of the world. We give these things to you in your name. Amen.